Good morning, beloved. One of my favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. It was so good to spend time with family uh, around the table, just sharing the meal, sharing the blessings. And I'm sure you did the same um, as many believers throughout the United States and abroad celebrate this uh, beautiful holiday when we remember how good we got from God. He loves us so much. This morning, I want to bring your attention to the ultimate blessings that we have in God. The Trinitarian blessings, which found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, and Russian Bible would be 13, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And you might ask, like, why do we go right to the end of the book? I mean, can we start somewhere in the middle? So we got only one shot, one thanksgiving, and I want to bring to the one verse that kind of embraces the fullness of blessing. And you'll see, you see that there's so much in this verse, such a fullness that it would be kind of hard to grasp our minds around it. Uh, the whole Christian life and experience of just joy and a bliss of being, walking with God, it's kind of in this verse. Now, even though we're celebrating and, and thanksgive, uh, thanksgiveness uh, uh, to the Lord and just uh, everybody is jolly around us and happy, you might find yourself not so happy for whatever reasons. Um, have you ever felt the sensation uh, in your heart that you, you need a breakthrough in your life? Uh, like you're looking around and you see the other people made it. They, they went through a breakthrough, but not you. You know, you look at their relationship with their spouses and they're just so happy and you look at your relationship and struggling and you might ask, when do I have this breakthrough? Or maybe you find yourself in debt in your career that you do not know. You've been working for the last 20 years and you just, you just don't see the tunnel at the end of the... Uh, uh, you just see the tunnel, actually, no light. <laughs> Or, you know, all your friends are married and, and, st- and you're still single and you're still praying. When all the churches around your church, like with the bubbly feeling of joy, they're just celebrating and, and you look at your church and it's just, we, we need the breakthrough, Lord. When are we going to get this breakthrough? And you're struggling. You see other people are getting breakthrough, but yours is still far away. And you pray something like that. Lord, remember my name as well. I want to be blessed like other people. I want to experience the same joy. Well, this is the time when we come to this verse. To this particular verse to see that every Christian in Christ are extremely blessed. Because God is relentless in blessing us, relentless, and he gives it all. There's no partial blessings, it is complete blessings, that if you're in Christ, it belongs to you. If you're outside of Christ, nothing belongs to you, nothing. No matter what joy you experience, you're not in, but if you're in, if you're complete, if you're satisfied, it is only because Christ has made you complete. Now let's read this verse together. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you 
all. Amen. Let's go home, huh? Well, it's interesting that Paul brings this culmination of this epistle at the very end. He, he didn't say it in the beginning. He, he said many, many things to the Corinthian church. And if you remember, Corinthian church was not an exemplary church. If you would use two words to describe Corinthian church, it would be, number one, confused and troubled, and number two, divided. They were theologically confused. They deviated from the gospel, and they went from grace to the law and through the works and through the gifts and stuff, and then they were divided. And Paul is writing as, as, as an apostle and as a pastor to this church. He wants to encourage them that you are a blessed church. You are a blessed church. Focus on God. And if you remember how Paul describes in, in this church and how, how he addresses the church, he's like a, a, a greatest pastor of all the pastors. This is the most pastoral epistle that you find in the New Testament. When Paul is, is opening his heart, he's just like bleeding through. He said, I love you, Corinthians. Why don't I get you love? I love you more. Even in verse uh, chapter 13 here, he said, look, I'm striving so that you may be complete, that you may become uh, uh, um, comforted, that you be like-minded. But if I don't see that, I will come. And he said, I will not spare anyone. Just imagine, just imagine that, that Tim or Mike or myself are talking to you this way, right? You say, I come to you, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, right? I will most gladly send, spend, and be expended for your souls. I love you. Or, he said, I call God as a witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. <laughs> I mean, he's just so open, so bold, so concerned. And so he addresses these problems, but he brings them to this uh, a great blessing and a benediction at verse 14. And he said, well, now grace and love and the fellowship be with you all. Now, this is a benediction. Do you guys know what the benediction is? It's not the breakfast that you do. It's not a benedict. It's different. It's the, it's the end. It's the culmination of things. It's a blessing. So this verse is a blessing from God to his people, which is complete, you must understand that you're blessed in order to bless others. Benediction is God's declaration of his relentless blessings to every believer in Jesus Christ. Such blessings are coming here through the grace of Jesus Christ, preceded by the love of God and cultivated by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, most of the Pauline letters ends up with some benediction, some end of blessings, but 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is the most complete one. Now, we're going to look at this, and, and we'll see what, is it, what does it mean. Why Paul is using this? For what purpose? So let's take number one, the meaning of the benediction, the meaning of this verse. God's declaring his relentless blessing, I said. And I want to make a distinction that this benediction, this blessing is a good word from God to his people, and therefore it's not a prayer. It's not our blessings to you, it's God's blessing to us. 
And it's different from doxology. Usually when we hear the words and bless God, like for instance in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, we read, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the doxology. That's the glorification. That's us blessing the Lord. Or 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's kind of weak. Have I repeat that? To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the doxology. And it's different from prayer of blessings when we say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. So when Paul is using this, he is using the word from God to us. This is what God tells us. It's not that it may be sometimes in the future. I pray for that. It is yours. It is yours. God's word to you. Blessings to you. Possessed by every Christian. This is not prayer, but an authoritative declaration of God's divine presence among his people. This is why historically a priest or a minister or a pastor did not close his eyes when he did this, when he prayed and when he said these words. But with an open eyes and open hands, congregation receive the blessings by faith, divine promises as the word of God speaks. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, it's ours. It is declared by the ministers, Paul declares this at the end, and it's nothing new in Old Testament, Second Chronicles, for instance, verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 27, the Levitical priests arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. Number six, 22, very, very famous, very, very famous blessings that God told to Moses to invoke on the people, it says this, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. This is God's blessing, God's good word to people. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and then will bless them. Beloved. We are blessed by God. He speaks a good work to us. Through the faithful ministers of the word, we proclaim and declare the gospel blessings upon us. And we must receive it in faith. If you're sitting today and you think, I'm not really sure does it belong to you. Well, it doesn't say maybe. It is. It is. Nothing really happens Majestic when we invoke this, we just declare what we have. The purpose of this benediction is to pronounce blessings from God so that it strengthens our faith, to renew our faith, to say, This is it. I take it, granted by God, I hold it by faith. Calvin said, God deposit his name with his priests that they may daily bring it toward people and of the salvation which proceeds from there. 
John Owen says, the benediction is an announcement of the possession of blessings promised forever to the church and not a simple wish or desire. When the minister says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, it is not a wish, it is not a prayer, it's not a desire, it's a declaration, proclamation, what we already have. And so we are weary travelers who wants to get breakthrough something in your life, you have to remember that you have been. You already have breakthrough. We need this regular pronouncements to put the wind under us in our sails and understand that God is with us. Like in Revelation 21 verse 3, God reminds us and what what we'll have in future. And I heard a, a voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. When we read these verse, this verse, we understand God is with us. He's declaring his relentless blessing to everyone who believes. Now let's look at the source of this blessing. What does the source, you know, it's, it's obvious this Blessing comes from the Trinitarian God. The fullness of blessings are found within the Trinity. It's not outside of the Trinity, it is within the Trinity. Within the Trinitarian relationship, and each one brings his gift. The Lord Jesus Christ brings grace, the Father brings love, and the Spirit brings fellowship. This Trinitarian name was invoked on us by Jesus Christ himself. When he left disciples in Matthew 28, 18, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. The very beginning of your blessings happens with the Trinity. You baptize them with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The presence of God invoked upon us. We are part of God's family. The God of the Bible is triune God. He's One God in three persons. Now, we're not going to go to systematic theology here to explain this, but Bible teaches clearly that there's only one God. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now that I am he, and there is no God besides me. I have one God. And yet Bible explains that each member of the Trinity, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. So we won't prove this this morning, but I want to point attention that there is a relational aspect of this trinity. We have a relationship with each member of the trinity. And it's a little bit different from one to another. Three persons are mentioned, and three blessings are mentioned for every believer. The blessing number one, the source of these blessings is Christ, grace. You see what it says? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace. Now it's interesting. When we think about the Trinity, who comes first? All the time we say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden here, the order is changed. And grace of Jesus Christ appears first. And Father is the second. And the Spirit is the third. And the reason why is it here? Because from our standpoint, how we get to know God. It's always Christ first. You do not know God unless you know Christ. He is the first step into the knowledge of God. 
the first step in salvation, before you realize the love of God, you need to realize the grace of Jesus. You would not get the love of God unless you'll see the grace of Christ. The grace is undeserved favor of God. And therefore, when you realize and meet grace, you would understand what love is. Before you meet love, you need to meet grace. At the moment of salvation, love makes no sense. No sense. Why would anybody sacrifice for a sinner? Why would anybody do that? But grace put place in, uh, things in perspective. If we would not meet grace in the beginning, we would think that we deserve love. That we are worthy of God's love because he loved us and we experienced that and that is good and we would attribute it that it is somehow we achieved that love. But grace put it in perspective and said, well, no, you are a miserable sinner that deserve hell. You have not deserved my love. And that's why Jesus mentioned first, out of the seven times, eight times Paul ends the epistle, he always ends with grace. And seven out of eight, he always say the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, does Father have grace? Of course, but it is how we know grace. From our perspective, standpoint, we see Christ bringing us this compassion and favor and grace. And is that what Jesus said in chapter? Chapter John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one reached to the Father's love except through me. And Acts 4.12 says, and there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in this epistle, in chapter 8, verse 9, if you go there, chapter 8, verse 9, he attributed this grace to Jesus Christ. You with me here? Chapter 8, verse 9. It says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that, through his, uh, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It is through Christ and his grace upon us, we understand. I like how Sinclair, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said, apart from Christ, there is no such thing as grace. There's no such, we would not be able to reach out to God's love. Outside of Christ, there is not even an ounce of grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. We would not get grace. We would not understand grace unless Christ would show us. And grace is what we need, right? The, the very first thing that God tells us in these blessings is the grace of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we need it desperately. That's all we need. We can't get it by our means. And therefore, we have a desperate condition to get the grace and then we appreciate the grace. It is by his marvelous grace that he loved us and forgive us our sins. And when he says grace here, he's not just pointing out to one uh, object and, uh, and things of the grace. He's encompassing all things, like everything that Christ brought, forgiveness of sin, the inheritance, and the eternal life, and, and so on. This is the grace. We got introduced to Christ. We've been justified by him. 
But it also says that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is bringing us into the relationship with the Trinity, it is sufficient. It is enough. It's not like we need something else. We're seeking for something else. We got a little bit of grace here in Jesus Christ and we seek some. No, it's all grace. It's all. It is the indescribable gift that through which we have fullness of grace. And Christ emphasizes that this is the first thing that you need. This is the desperate thing that you need. And this is all that you need. You don't need anything else. Now, if you're looking for the breakthrough in your life, you mean that means that you are missing out on the grace of God or you don't appreciate or you think that you need something else. And Paul, Paul, in, in this letter, he kind of explains why he put grace first. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, he gives this illustration. Remember when he was boasting about himself, he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be foolish a little bit right now. I'm going to boast of how God blessed me and graced me. I was taken up to the third heaven. Just anybody of you were, no, Corinthians, no? Okay, so I was there. I've seen, I, I couldn't even speak. I was forbidden to speak what I saw there. And then he said in, in chapter 7, uh, verse 12, verse 7 says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, which is opposite of grace, right? We exalt ourselves when we don't think that, you know, we need grace. We are doing proudly something. He said, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So Paul said, I needed a grace. I need to, a reminding that I have it all concerning this. I implored the Lord three times that I might leave, that he might leave me. So Paul, in this condition, he said, I have great revelation. God is dealing with me, but I'm praying to God, please bless me. Remove this thing, whatever that is, from me. And then I'll be kind of happy and do my ministry. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. There is no lack of grace. Whatever you might think that you need to get rid of pain and sufferings and, and discouragement, and then you will have enough grace. That is all wrong. My grace, Jesus said, is sufficient for you now. There's no lack of grace. Now, Jerry Bridges wrote a book, a very wonderful book, The Pursuit of Holiness. And he wrote it early in his life. And then years later, he admitted, he said, I needed to write Disciplines of Grace, another book, because my earlier book was lacking grace. I was bringing a lot of law into the equation. You see, this is what we want to substitute. We, we don't need to substitute the grace of God. It is enough. It is sufficient. This is what you need first. This is what God gives you first. It is completely, you're dependent on grace. There's nothing could solve the problem but grace of Jesus. And then it is sufficient. You don't look for anything else. This is it. You arrived. You are blessed. You feel this way this, this morning? Do you feel blessed because you receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, isn't that a crushing thought? 
that everybody is equal today and equally receive the same amount of grace. There's no one here who has more grace or less grace. Even graced. It's amazing. Pastor Ironside, illustrating the point of the power and sufficiency of grace, tells the story. It's kind of a bit long, but I want to read it. The story he has told about Kajarnak. He was the chief man in tribe of Greenland. The first convert of the Moravian missionaries who came to Greenland to preach the gospel. Now, when the first missionary came to Greenland, they saw these people, and they saw these are wicked people. These are really bad people, drunkard, adulterous, and liars, and violent men. And they said, well, if we're going to preach them the grace of Jesus Christ right now, all they're going to take it as a license to sin, and, they say, and they're going to sin more. So... Let's preach the law of Moses. And that's what they did. For a year, they preached the law of Moses. They preached the Ten Commandments. And people would listen and go out and continue to sin. One year later, a man named Hans from Moravian Brotherhood came. He was a wealthy man, and he was converted by the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, and he came to Greenland to preach the gospel, and instead of preaching on the law, he preached on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I very tenderly for an hour to explain Christ and what he did on the cross for them and how much he sacrificed and suffered and bled for the redemption of the sinner, and when he finished, this man, Kar Janak, a young chief in the tribe, listening carefully, sprung forward and cried, missionaries, why didn't you tell us before? You have been with us a year and never told us before. You told us about God who created the world and he didn't make us hate our sins. He told us of God who gave his holy law. We learned the Ten Commandments. We went out and got drunk again. And today, you've told us how our sins have broke the heart of God. And he came to redeem us from our sins. Missionaries. Kajarnak cannot sin against love like that. From now on, I will be a Christian. He became a Satan Christian. He became a great testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you all. It is with you. We need grace. We have grace. And God is relentless and give us on grace. So this is the benediction that we see that it is a blessing and the first thing that we receive is from Christ, the grace. Number two, it is the love of God. If the grace belongs to Jesus, the love belongs to the Father. Uh, because God is by nature is love. He is reason for the grace. The reason for the grace is love. That is the motivating factor. Why would anybody give grace? It is because it motivated by love. The source of grace is love. 
This infusion of grace is love. We know God only through Christ, but Christ was sent from the heart of the loving Father. It was the Father who loved the world. It was He who sent His beloved Son. Of course, Jesus loves us, but Jesus is the demonstration of God's love. You know, Jesus admitted, He said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him and he will raise him up on the last day. John 3.15, the embracement of the whole message of God for God so loved the world. God, the Father, so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. It is the Father who initiates and pursue with love. 1 John 4, 7, 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, God the Father. And everyone who loves is born of God, God the Father. and knows God, the only one, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In essence, God the Father is showing that he is love. And the love leads us back to the Father. You know, Jesus came not just to have fellowship with us, but he went back to the Father and he said, I'll bring you back. Jesus, the initiator, the beginner, we are in Christ. And Christ, at the end of the day, he will bring us to the Father. We betrothed to Christ, but we belong to the Father. He is the shepherd who leads us, his flock, to the Father's. We don't get stuck here before we go to the Father. The whole purpose of the church is bringing to the union with the Godhead. Look at the perfect description of God's love. In Greek, it's just just a superbola. This is the, the way how God explains beyond our ability to understand. In Ephesians 3, 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, which is almost impossible with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. The love of God is so powerful, so broad, so huge. You know, when we think about God, we think about God as the father who loves his children. How often do you think about yourself? I'm afraid that we're thinking about ourselves as an orphans. You know, you might not agree with me at this moment, but think through it. Like the orphans, they do not trust anybody until somebody adopts them. And then it's the process. It's a process of trusting someone because for years, nobody cared us, the loving father. You know, Christian, you might treat the father as the caregiver. This is how you, you pray to him, so to give you stuff. But do you have relationship as a son to the loving father? Do you get this blessings? That you're reconciled to God and now you're no longer orphan? Experience the father's love at this very moment when he invites us into the relational journey for the rest of our lives 
to treat him as a loving father. It's interesting. What would happen to the church if, if for real, like for real, we would start thinking, I'm a child of God and he really loves me. You know, if the orphans being adopted, you know what the orphans want to do? It's not to just enjoy this father. They would look at the orphans and say, well, I got it so good. I want to bring them in. Because they are without the love of the father. You know, the blessings that the church have, it transform our thinking. Not only about how much we have, but how much, you know, we are the channel of these blessings. Thinking about God, I like the song, that a popular song that says, how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. The love of the father. This is a breakthrough for you. <laughs> you know, you're no longer orphaned. You have the love of the father. And it's all. He doesn't love you just a little bit. He loves you with all he has. It's a declaration of relentless blessings of God's love for us. And thirdly, the third blessings that comes from this benediction is the fellowship of this Holy Spirit. This is the relationship with the Holy Spirit. The word here, fellowship for the koinonia. Uh, we get this, right? We come here in fellowship. Who do you fellowship with? Usually with your friends, with your relatives, that you have something in common, right? You go to stadiums to watch some, some games. You, you go to the theaters to have some fellowship around this uh, unifying theme. You go to you know, barbecue place where you, you go to restaurants and you kind of fellowship. But, but the true fellowship is when, when you talk, right? When, when you come and you just, you just talk. You know, we had this uh, Thanksgiving party and I couldn't hear nothing. I mean, everybody's talking, yelling, kids are screaming and everybody's so jolly and, and because everybody communicates something. Hey, we're, we're, we're happy to be here. We're sharing the common experience. We're sharing the meal. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, the word for the koinonia is really sharing or communion of what we experience when we communicate something. That's what Father said, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to go to my Father and I'm going to ask him to give you a helper who will be with you forever, in you and with you forever. And he will teach you. Now, this is the spiritual fellowship. You know, notice that this benediction doesn't bring and doesn't mention anything like money, like houses, like health. This is when we think that we are blessed, truly blessed. Like the, the human relationship. This is like, this is it. We made it. But none of us is here. It's a spiritual blessings. We want something else, but God said, no, 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 no. The fellowship of the spirit, the spiritual fellowship is the blessing. Because the triune God loves us and gives us what we really need. Because we are, in essence, our spiritual beings. We're not just material. We're not just, you know, stomach. We're not just eyes. You know, sometimes we refer to ourselves like, 
like, man, I, I'd like to lose weight. I like to have a clean diet. And we just like project ourselves like we, if we're our stomach or we're this muscles, like we, we want to bike, we want to exercise, we wanna, we wanna, we're just like a bunch of muscles. Or we're brainy, we're just going to study and we're going to learn this stuff. But our greatest need is spiritual because you're a spiritual being. You know, if you're like 30 enough, you probably understand that you are losing the game with your flesh. You're losing. You know, you might get ahead of other people, but man, it's just another four years and you're just being this bag of bones. And, you know, Paul says it's a tent, just withers. Because you are a spiritual being and you need a spirit to communicate with you and commune with you and be blessed. Now that, that makes us think in like, where does a blessing comes from? It comes from the spirit. When I communicate with the spirit, this is where I'm most happy and, and joyful and, and full of life. You know, when we fellowship, Paul doesn't say here, doesn't say here the fellowship with the church, which is included for sure. This is where we come. But the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he communicates to us something. It is his fellowship. We come into his fellowship like we come into the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not our grace. It's his grace. We come into the love of the Father. It's his love. And we come into the fellowship of the Spirit. And when the Spirit wants to fellowship about something, he usually fellowship about Christ. That's what he does. He is busy in the world bringing people into the fall of Christ and point Christ that he is the man. And we call it fellowship when we do a lot of different stuff. But if, if the spirit is not there and the spirit pointing attention to Christ and he spreading his agenda. His agenda, his agenda is Jesus. Every fellowship involves sharing, communicating of some sort. But when spirit comes into fellowship, he has one agenda. He wants to make Jesus great. Point out what, how good we got in Jesus. You know, we're participating in many things. We're sharing, you know, in our families, like we have many communions, just so to speak. We're sharing the right when we go to church. We're sharing the meals. We are watching. We're laughing. But is it spiritual? Is it the fellowship of the spirit? Or we come to the Bible studies and life groups and we say we're fellowshipping and we have no Jesus on our minds. Do you think we enter into the spirit of fellowship? You know, Jesus said, he said, I have many more things to, to say to you at the end before he went up to the Father, before the crucifixion. He said, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth and he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will make, take of mine and will disclose it to you. You know, the spirit is busy to tell us Communicate and pray with us to the Father and communicate who we are. We are children of God. That's a communication of the Spirit. He tells us that we receive the Spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry in Abba Father. The Spirit himself testifies to our spirits 
that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, and co-heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit tells us who we are, who Jesus is, who God is. That's the fellowship of the Spirit. It's interesting. Like, I feel practically to enter into this fellowship. You know, we have, he speaks, right? And it's a communication, it's communion. He speaks to us. He speaks about Christ. He speaks about who we are. But in order to able to discern his voice, it takes some time, right? I mean, there's so many voices speaking to us, fellowshipping with us, want to take our attention. And that's what Jesus said. Look, sometimes you just have to shut all this, these devices down and go to your, uh, to your room. <laughs> but guess what happens? You came into your room and you're, Heart is talking. Your heart is, your mind is full of things that is talking to you about, you know, how he treated you and how he, she treated you and how should you, and in that your fear of tomorrow and that you're worried and there's anxiety and you have to quiet that in order to be able to fellowship with the spirit and to, to get through all these voices to the voice of the spirit who speaks through the scripture. That's why I believe that the Psalm 4610 says that be still and know that I am God. Just be quiet for a second. Just, just shut down, just shut up and to listen. Man, we're so eager to speak about this and that. But the fellowship of the Spirit is bringing this attention to Christ. And in, in order to even be in fellowship, we need to take these voices out. It doesn't, it might happen in a in room, but also it might happen right now. You might be sitting here and have zero fellowship with the Spirit. If Spirit is not in you, you have no fellowship. If you listen to your own voice of things that you need to just do in just 20 minutes and you're planning, you're not in a fellowship. So quiet, rest in Christ. By the love of God, have a fellowship of the Spirit. That is the blessing. The Holy Spirit communicates and cultivates the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of the Father to our hearts. You could truly say whenever you feel despair, like complete despair and you have no hope, like everything is just so dark and black, you just lost your communication with the Spirit. Because if you do, He will show you how God loves you and through whom He does it. And finally, it's great. We got this. It's a benediction. It's a, the meaning is to, to bring blessing and to invoke the name of, of God upon us and to, to really believe like, wow, this is great. This is great. This is awesome. We have it a lot. We have the breakthrough. We are not stuck in life. We are going to eternal relationship with the father and we have it now. And we might stop at this point and say, well, this is it. This is good. We felt good. We, we just like, we, we cried a little bit, we worship, we allow, we, you know, but, you know, the whole scripture tells us, and it's not in this verse particularly, the whole scripture tells us that there's a reason why God wants to bless us. 
there's a reason. He wants us to be really changed, transformed, and to proclaim. That's why he blesses you so much so that you be transformed in your heart and that you be transformed to the point of bringing this glory to other people. In other words, father wants their sons and daughters be changed by his blessings so much that they would be look, look like spiritual Christian, look like Christ and be projecting this to the world. Now go with me to Psalm 67, please. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, mark this psalm. This is the reason for the God's blessings for you. Like if you got it so good, great, praise the Lord, and you stop there, you didn't get the blessings, the intention of the blessings. Here's the intention of the blessings. Read with me. For the choir director with a string, string instrument, a psalm, a song, and says, psalmist is praying, bless me, bless me. And I'm sure you do this all the time. God, bless me. We want blessings. We want it. And he says, be gracious to us and bless us. And cause his face to shine upon us. We want this face of God shine upon us. Why? You know, when we have little babies, right? We come and they're crying and something and mama comes in and she just put her face into the face of the baby and so googie 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 and doing something really weird, you know, that you wouldn't do publicly. But it just, and, and you look at the baby's face and, and the baby's face lit up like and it's smiling. Why? Didn't, didn't say anything cohesive. Like he didn't say, it just, it just mama's face was shining on the baby's face and it reflects. And it's like the joy comes in. You know, when you come to the father through the spirit and through Christ Jesus and you sit at the father and he shines his face on you with his glory and love and kindness and mercy that you are lit up. You're, you're changing. Remember what happened to Moses when he came on and received 10 commandments. He came down and his face was shining, blazing. Why? Because he was exposed to the face of God. Is that what we're saying? We want to come to you, Jesus, to see you face to face, to be blessed by your face. Because when God looks at the Christian, he sees his child and he smiles. Now, why are we frowning so much? Well, because maybe we don't see this face shining upon us. God is gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. But here's the reason that you way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. <laughs> so this blessing that comes in and you're changing is for a reason that these blessings would, would kind of catch up on, uh, catch on fire. Other people say, so, well, Wow. He is a child. He was an orphan. Now he's a child of God. He was not shining, joyful, but now he is. What's up? What's going on? That your way may be known on earth and salvation will come to many nations. The purpose of the benediction is for us to be changed. That is Paul 
He's saying at the end of the second Corinthians, very heavy letter, very open, very bold. He said, I, wanna, I wanted to remind you that you are blessed, guys, that you are super, super blessed. You have it. You're blessed by God. A sad reality of Unchained Church, though, Corinth didn't make it. It's interesting that in 95 AD, Clement of Rome, who was a bishop in Rome, he wrote several letters to Corinthians. It was like 30 years later. And he write in one letter in addressing the dissension, the confusion, the theological trouble. They have not made a great progress toward the completeness, maturity, because they deviate from the blessing of God. How well do you hold for to this verse? It is necessary to recall, remind, and to bless ourselves with the word of God and to remind how great his blessing, how relentless his blessing is for us. If you're here today and you never believe in Christ, we invite you to respond to the cross. He was crucified in weakness that he might lay the foundation for salvation of sinners. He shed his blood for sinners, bear penalty, and that way we call grace. And we pray that God's grace, the Holy Spirit, may bring to the conviction of your sin and to bring you back to life. If you're in that category, confess your sin, confess your need, acknowledge him that Christ has done everything and that you don't deserve it, but believe in him because he's merciful and loving God. But for the rest of us, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.